You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Let's get right into the Word. This is week number two. We're uh, continuing our series called Jesus the Healer. Everybody say that. Say, Jesus the Healer. All right, so let me just share with you, and again, I didn't put it up on the screen for you, but uh, I want to read to you again what we declared last week, Mark chapter 16 and verse 20, after Jesus uh, had ascended to heaven, it said, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 20 in Mark 16 says, and they went out, they, the disciples went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And so what, it, what that means is, is that when the word was preached, the Lord stepped in and confirmed, or as we said uh, last week, actually the word confirmed there mean he provided a guarantee by the words that they preached and he confirmed it and guaranteed it that it was the truth by the signs that followed the preaching of the word. So my point is this, I believe as we minister this series, somebody, if not somebody's, are going to get healed. I'm going to try that again. I believe that if you have a need in your life that, that physically, that I believe during the process and progress of this particular series, you are going to receive your healing. All right. So just keep your faith out there. Keep believing God and let's press into this. So I'll tell you what, before we open with our first verse, let me, let me open in prayer and let's, let's believe God. Father, thank you so much for the time that we have to spend in your word today. I thank you that your word is already blessed. It's already anointed. It's already powerful. And so, Lord, I thank you that as we purpose to receive from your word today, I believe and agree, Father, with each and every one here for your anointing to be present, to minister your thoughts, your intents, what you desire for us to receive Father, I believe that my thoughts will be your thoughts and my words will be your words. And Father, I believe for the anointing to be present on every ear hearing today so that our hearts will be receptive, we'll be able to receive the truths that you want us to receive, and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at our foundation scripture found in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. It says this, and it helps if I turn this on, uh, but it, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 says this, how God anointed. Now, again, we broke this down last week, but who did the anointing? God. Okay, how God anointed Jesus, all right? So who did God anoint? Jesus. With the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing a few who were oppressed of the devil, Okay. He went about, who went about? Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And so we began last week looking at this and we did our very best to establish the will of God in the matter by looking at the ministry of Jesus. We found last week that if you want to find out what God is like, look at Jesus if you want to find out what the will of God is, look at Jesus and look at what he did, how he conducted himself, what he ministered in the Gospels. 
And then uh, you can ascertain what the will of God. In other words, what God desires for you to receive, Jesus made clear in the New Testament. And so we also said that until you settle the fact or, or know in your heart what the will of God is concerning anything that God has provided for us, whether it's salvation, healing, God's blessing, his favor, any of those things, you must settle it in your heart that it is the will of God for my life. Now, we said it's one thing to know that God is able, that God has power. He, can, he is powerful. He can do those things. But it's a whole other thing to wrap your heart around the fact that God wants to heal me. You know, it's, it, it's easier to believe that God will heal somebody else, but, but where the challenge comes is, will he heal me? And you have to settle that. You have to establish the answer to that for yourself in your own heart. And so we went through, we spent a great deal of time looking at Jesus' ministry and found that, yes, it is God's will for each and every person to be healed the same way that it is God's will for each and every person to be saved. Matter of fact, we, we haven't really gotten into this yet, but we'll look at it in lessons to come. But the fact, that the, the fact of the matter is the price for your healing was paid for at the same time the price for your salvation was paid for. All right? So that's the good news. The work has already been done. So let me just talk about this verse for just a moment. Again, let me read it, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about or who, with the Holy Spirit in power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And, you know, just to give you a little context of what's going on here, Peter was led by the Lord to go to the home of a man named Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And this is the first time that a Gentile household heard the gospel because, you know, immediately after Jesus was ascended and the, the disciples went out that, they preached primarily to the Jews because they did not believe that the gospel was made available to everybody. But God had to correct their thinking. He had to adjust their, their plan a little bit. And so uh, Peter was led by the Lord to go to a Gentile man's house named Cornelius to preach the gospel to them. And so he spent a few moments. It's a very, very brief sermon. You can read all of it there in Acts chapter 10. But the interesting thing for me is that Peter chose to sum up Jesus' ministry with this one verse right here. He talked about how he came, how he died, how they had crucified the Lord and so forth. And then that he summarized Jesus' earthly ministry in this one verse. And notice that the highlight of this verse is not what maybe you and I would think would be the highlight of Jesus' ministry. You know, if you're Peter, think about it this way, all the things that he and the other disciples experienced in three and a half years. You know, early on when Peter was called to the ministry or called to be a, an apostle, if you remember, Jesus wanted to borrow his boat to preach the gospel. And so he got in Peter's boat, preached a message to the people on the, the seashore. And then after the message, church was over uh, and the people were dismissed. Jesus told Peter, launch out your boat, put out your nets, and you'll have a great catch. And so a little, you know, a little back and forth there. I'm leaving out, but Peter eventually obeyed. And so the, the thing that might jump out in Peter's mind was the fact that when they let down their nets because of Jesus' blessing and the provision that the Lord made to him, 
uh, their boats overflowed with fish. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he had to call his business partners out there, James and John, to come help him drag in all the fish. You know, that might be something that sticks out in your thinking. You know, the, you, Peter was there at the wedding of uh, Cana when they ran out of wine. And, and what did Jesus do? He turned the water into wine. Now, it wasn't a pitcher. He turned six water pots that contained 30 gallons each into wine. That's a lot of wine, okay? They had a good party. All right, I'm just kidding. I don't believe it was like Mad Dog or anything like that. It was more or less grape juice. <laughs> but anyway, some ripple. But anyway, he turned in water into wine on that wedding day. You know, that might have stuck out in Peter's thinking. You know, think about the two times that it's documented in the Gospels where Peter was present and, and the Lord fed the multitudes. He fed 15,000 people in one occasion and about 7,000 in another occasion by supernaturally multiplying what he had available to him, the bread and the fish. You know, that would probably have stuck out in my thinking. You might remember Peter encountered the Lord that one night when Jesus came out uh, to the disciples in the boat and Jesus was walking on the water. And you remember Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. You know, we knocked Peter a little bit, but, but until you walk on water, uh, too. Don't, don't be so quick to criticize Peter. Okay. He did sink, but the Lord uh, reached out and caught him. But you know, that might've stuck out in his thinking a little bit too. You know, Peter was there when Lazarus, Lazarus was raised from the dead. You know, that might stick out in your thinking a little bit too. You know, there was another occasion that I thought about last night. I was just laying in bed, kind of reading over my notes and I said, Lord, are there, is there anything that I'm leaving out? And he said, what about the transfiguration? And I said, oh, yeah. Well, you know, Peter, James, and John were present. They went up to on top of the mount with the Lord, and all of a sudden the Lord was glorified. And the Bible says that Elijah and Moses showed up and had a conversation with Jesus. And it was absolutely awesome. And again, I, you know, read, I'm going through these very quickly, but read through those stories. I've, I've, I so identify with Peter. Because in that particular story, the Bible says clearly, Peter did not know what to say, so the only thing he could say was, hey, Lord, it's good that we're here. You want us to build some tents, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses? You know, kind of a dumb thing to say, but like you and me, when you're under pressure and you, you don't always say the right thing. But you would think that that transfiguration experience would have stuck out in Peter's mind and then the, the other thing was, uh, you know, it was approaching April 15th and it was getting close to tax day and Jesus needed to pay his taxes and Peter needed to pay his taxes because they didn't want the IRS on their case. And, and so you'll recall that Peter came to Jesus and Jesus told him, he said, look, he said, here's what you do. You go put, uh, get your rod and reel cast into the water and the first fish that you catch, open its mouth, and there will be a coin in its mouth, and you can pay my taxes and yours. Now, I don't know about you, but all of those particular events probably would have stuck out in my thinking. But what's interesting is, in this message that Peter is preaching, the very first message preached to the Gentiles, he doesn't point out any of those things. What he points out, and write this down, please, Peter chose 
to talk about Jesus as the healer because this was the most defining characteristic of Jesus' ministry. You know, those other spectacular things probably jump out in our thinking, but if you think about in three and a half years, the multitudes of people that Jesus encountered and were wonderfully healed and delivered and set free through Jesus' ministry, we can clearly see that healing is and was the defining characteristic of Jesus' ministry. Now, why is that? Why, why do you think that Jesus was so focused on healing people? You know, if you heard some people preach today, if they would try and tell you that, that healing was not something that was at the forefront of Jesus, that it, you know, it was everything else he did. And by the way, when he left, healing left too. And, and then, you know, the apostles might have been anointed to heal a little bit, but, but that all passed away with the apostles and so forth. But what's interesting to me is why is the Lord and why was the Lord so interested in ministering to people in their physical bodies? Well, write this down, please. Apart from spiritual things, the one thing that we as humans are most concerned about is our physical body. Somebody said, no, not me. I'm spiritual. Hallelujah. No, you think about your body. Let me prove it to you. Hey, listen, if you get sick and you need medical attention, you're not interested, nor do you care about your car needing repairs at that moment. Or how many clothes you got in the closet. Or what's going on at home. No, what you're most concerned about when you're sick and you're in need of help is I want my body well. And here's the cool thing. Just like you are interested in the care of your physical body, Jesus is interested in the care of your physical body. Let me show you what he said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. The scripture says this, Therefore, Jesus speaking, and this is on the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, Jesus said, I will take care of you materially, I'll take care of you spiritually, and I'll take care of you bodily as well. So Jesus was very much interested in the care of people's physical bodies while he was here on the earth, and the good news is he's still interested in the care of your physical body now. He wants you well. Jesus wants you healed. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. Now, I want to take some time today, and I want to talk about the types of people and the types of situations, conditions, that Jesus heals. Okay, so let's dive into this. We're going to look at some examples primarily from the book of Mark. Now, for those of you who, who might be new to the Word of God, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of them carries a different purpose. Mark's Gospel dealt with more of the miraculous that Jesus did in the healings and the miracles that he performed. John's Gospel was more about uh, the, the intimate relationship that the Lord wants to have with his people Matthew's gospel was more of storytelling in the sense that it covers everything from the genealogy all the way through to the crucifixion. And then Luke's gospel 
uh, written by a physician was very detailed in a lot of the things that he covered, just like you would imagine a doctor would be, a physical doctor would be. But Mark's gospel is a little different in that Mark ministered and, and documented a lot of, if not most of, the miracles and healings that were performed in Jesus' ministry. So as we look at this, we're going to spend a lot of time in Mark's gospel. So if you're writing, uh, taking notes, write this down. The number one, or number one, and these aren't any, in any order of importance. It's just that the order that they're in. So Jesus heals those that are outcast from everyone else because of disease. You know, it moves the heart of God to see people that have been separated or are broken apart from society because of sickness and disease. Let's look at Mark chapter 1, and we touched on this story last week, but Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, one of my favorite stories from the gospel, because it just clearly says and establishes what the will of the Lord is. Now, a leper, everybody say a leper, came to him. Now, again, as I mentioned last week, in Jesus' day, if you got leprosy, there were two things you need to understand. Number one, it was eventually terminal. And number two, it immediately meant you were separated from society. To protect other people, it was a highly contagious disease, and to keep other people from uh, getting leprosy in their bodies, what you would do is you would be forced to move out of your home, move away from your family, move out, quit your job, and you had to go live in what was called a leper colony. And uh, you stayed there with other people that had leprosy, and that's the way you lived out the rest of your life. Now, anybody that says sickness and disease is not a thief doesn't understand that and has never had some type of terminal condition like leprosy or cancer or something like that. So you can imagine, this man lost it all. But the thing that I want you to see is, is now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. I love the fact Jesus moved, just, just responded so clearly. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. So we see the will of Jesus, almost a mic drop moment where he said, that's what I want. I want you to be clean. I want you to be healed. And so as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So Jesus, it's, notice it says he was moved with compassion. What that, the difference between feeling sorry for someone, having pity, and being moved with compassion is feeling sorry for someone just means I feel something about your condition. You know, if I have pity on you, it might mean that, you know, I realize that you're in a bad spot, that you're in a bad situation. But to be moved with compassion is a little bit different because when you're moved with compassion, it means you have the ability to do something about it and you act on that ability. So Jesus was moved with compassion because this man had lost it all He'd been separated from society, and now he expressed the will of God and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And so this man was experiencing something. And so can you imagine, after this man was healed, what that meant for him? Everything that he lost, 
was restored. He could now move back in with his family. He could go get a job if he desired. And everything that he had lost because of this sickness and disease, Jesus restored back to him. Aren't you glad Jesus is a restorer? You know, it would have been one thing, and we see this also with the woman with the issue of blood, but it had been one thing if Jesus just said, hey, you're healed, have a nice day. And healing would have been wonderful, but Jesus added to it the ability to be able to receive back everything that was lost. And so Jesus ministers to and heals people that are outcasts because of a physical condition. Now, number two is, is similar to it, but let's look at it. Number two is this. Jesus heals those who are left behind by society because of disease. You know, I, many years ago, when I was a teenager, I worked a, a couple of years uh, for uh, the Muscular Dystrophy Association and worked a, a couple of summer camps for them. And that was an experience I never will forget. And uh, you, muscular dystrophy is, is, is a terrible, terrible disease. It totally destroys the life of people. And listen, it wasn't just small children. You know, we, we heard a lot about children because of the, the good things that Jerry Lewis would do in the telethon. But there were just as many adults that would come to that summer camp as there were small children. Matter of fact, the, the patient, the, the person that I was responsible for in one of the camps was a high school senior. And uh, he was, his condition was such to the point where he was in a wheelchair full time, you know, not to be too graphic, but my care for him for those seven days extended to the part where he couldn't even go to the bathroom by himself. He couldn't bathe himself. Uh, I would literally have to wake up every couple of hours during the night and turn him in the bed because he physically could not turn himself in, in the bed. And so his quality of life was, you know, his family and, and of course we, we tried to make it as good as it possibly could be. But you also have to acknowledge the fact that because of that terrible disease, he had been left behind by society. Now, he was able to graduate high school, but that was it. He went to East Mecklenburg High School and, and was able to graduate. Uh, and then, unfortunately, he died not too long after that. But the thing that I want you to see is, is that because of that debilitating, terrible disease that had struck him, he had been totally left behind by society. He was never going to be able to go to college. He was never going to be able to fulfill a career. He was never going to have the mobility that we all enjoy because of that disease. Now, Jesus wants to heal people that are left behind because of disease. Let me show you. Let's look at Mark chapter 2, and let's look at several verses here in Mark chapter 2. The scripture says this, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house, and immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, why was he preaching the word to them? He wanted them to be able to receive. In order to be able to receive, you have to have faith. How does faith come? By hearing the word of God. So Jesus is all about posturing and getting people to a place where they could readily receive from, from God. And so if, if faith is what is required, 
then you'll see that Jesus did three things in his ministry. He went everywhere preaching, teaching, and healing in that order. He would very often walk into an environment, spend time preaching the word and teaching the word. Then he would minister healing. And so it says, and he preached the word to them. And then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried about by four men. Now think about this. The Bible is very specific in saying that this man was paralyzed. Now, would you say that he had been left behind by society? He was totally paralyzed. In other words, he could do nothing, go anywhere, experience anything if it was not for the help of people. Now, I'm, I'm so glad that he had four good friends. Aren't you? But he had four good friends that knew about Jesus. And, and listen, I believe that the conversation that the five of them probably went like this. Hey, man, we heard about this guy named Jesus. He's a healer. And I believe, we believe that if we can get you to him, you can be healed. And so the paralyzed man said, okay, let's go for it. So they go and they carry him. They came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. Now, I love this. You know, when they got there, they saw how crowded it was. And his four friends did not say, man, listen, we're sorry. We can't even get in the building. Oh, well, better luck next time. Let's go back to the house. No, these four friends loved this man enough and wanted him to be able to receive from Jesus enough that they said to him, hey, we got an idea. We're going to go around back and we're going to climb. Can you, can you imagine what the paralyzed man was thinking? Now, he had to sign off on this, okay? Because we'll see in just a minute. I got proof of that. So the five of them come to some kind of agreement. And so they went up on the roof. They uncovered the roof where he was. And so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So they had to tie some ropes on this man's bed, drop him down. And, and, and you know, the confidence that this guy had in his four friends, you know, Lord, please don't let him drop me. Please don't let him drop me. So look at, here's how I know that the five of them were in agreement. Look at verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, not his faith, the man on the bed, but he saw all five of their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes who were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. And he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know, just to settle this and prove to you that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins as well as to heal, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this before. Can you imagine what broke loose in that house when that man got up, picked up his own cot, and walked out of the house? You're talking about a revival taking place. What's interesting to me, though, is that the religious leaders 
were more interested in Jesus obeying the commandments and instead of this man getting well. That's what religion will do for you. Religion will try and tell you, no, you can't get up and, and carry your bed on, on the Sabbath. Or who is this that thinks he can forgive sins? What difference does it make? Because the proof of the pudding is in the eating. The man got up. So Jesus wants to heal people that have been left behind by society. Well, guess what? This paralyzed man ain't left behind anymore. Now, I'm sure he's grateful for his four friends, but don't you know they were glad not to get that phone call to say, hey, guys, I need to go so-and-so. Can y'all carry me over there? Okay? He was able to do what he needed to do. Jesus delivered him from that condition. Here's number three. Jesus heals those who are limited. Now, the three of these kind of are related. Jesus heals those who are limited because of some infirmity. Limited because of some infirmity. You know, many times there are conditions that can, that can come in people's lives where it's not a terminal condition. You don't necessarily die from it but it just limits your ability. Now, I again, this is another one of my favorite stories from the gospel, uh, the gospels, but Mark's gospel in particular. Mark chapter three, verses one through five, uh, it says this, and he, Jesus, entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. Now, what's interesting to me is the Bible doesn't even tell us the man's name. Just, he was just, he's kind of like the woman that had the issue of blood. We don't know her name. We just know what condition she had. Well, this guy is now known as the one who had a withered hand. So here's a guy standing in church. Oh, don't, I, I, I'm tempted to get started on this. He was in church. He was a member of the synagogue in good standing. We don't know how old he was or how long he had been going to the synagogue but can you imagine, he had been in that synagogue for a period of time and his hand was all withered up by some condition and he went to church faithfully with that physical condition and nothing ever changed. So Jesus saw him and in verse 2 it says, so they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Instead of being concerned that this guy had been coming to their service day after day, weekend after weekend, Sabbath after Sabbath, and coming with this withered hand, they were more concerned about catching Jesus breaking the law than they were about delivering this man from that condition. Which, by the way, according to the Old Testament, they had the right to do it. They could have ministered healing to this guy. But they didn't. And so, verse 4, or no, excuse me, verse 3, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, I love this, step forward. Now, can you imagine this guy? He's used to being anonymous. Maybe because of his condition, he would slip in the back so nobody would make a big deal about it or Whatever, and all of a sudden, here's this preacher that rolls into town. Church is packed, 
And all of a sudden, this preacher says, hey, you, step forward. So Jesus told him to come forward. Verse 4, he said, then he said to him, is it lawful, or said to them, the religious leaders, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And they didn't answer him. Now, I love this. And when he had looked around at them with anger. Now, what was he upset about? What was Jesus mad about? He wasn't mad at their question. What, was he, what he was mad about was this man had been forced to live in this condition when he didn't have to. And so being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. I love the fact that this man is no longer known as the man with the withered hand. His hands function just like they should. And so Jesus healed this man because he didn't want him to be limited by that physical condition. You know, let's say the man was withered in his right hand, and he was right-handed. You know what that means? He couldn't work a tool. He could barely sign his name. He could barely function and do what he needed to do. He was limited because of this infirmity. Well, because of Jesus telling him to step forward and then giving a command of faith, say, stretch forth, stretch out your hand. Now, listen, what if the man had said, I can't, Jesus? You know what? He'd still be known as the man with the withered hand. But he took a simple act of faith and stretched out his hand towards Jesus. And when he did, his hand was made whole. Am I helping anybody today? Now, I want to say this one. Let me give it to you, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Number four is this. Jesus heals those conditions that are long-standing and that maybe you've learned to live with. Now, these are conditions that happen in our physical bodies where, again, it's not terminal. It may not necessarily be all that painful, but it's a condition or maybe the pain is not consistent. Maybe it only happens on certain days or certain conditions. Or, you know, it might be when the weather is, is doing like it's doing right now that it flares up or something along that line. And really, you, you have learned how to tolerate it, how to live life and navigate through life in spite of this physical condition. I want you to know by the authority of God's word, it's not God's will for you to live with a physical condition that you have learned to live with. You know, I have uh, for a long, long time, as long as I can remember, dealt with uh, sinus things going on and sinus headaches and all that. And I made up my mind a while back, you know what? I don't have to live with sinus headaches. Jesus took sinus headaches when he bore the rest of my sickness and disease on the cross. But see, because it's something that only happens occasionally, it's not a big deal. It's not terminal. I'm definitely not as bad off as some other people maybe are. We learn to tolerate those things and just put up with it. Well, guess what? You don't have to do that. Let's look at another very famous condition that somebody was healed of in Mark chapter 5. Again, we mentioned this last week. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, again, think about this condition. 
Not 12 days, not 12 weeks, 12 years. She put up with this. And she decided she would go to the doctor. She had suffered many things for many physicians. She had spent all that she had. It was no better, but rather grew worse. But then she finally decided enough is enough. You know, sometimes we don't get healed because we have not decided enough is enough. You know, sometimes I'll say this, and I know this is nobody here. I'm just giving you some information about maybe somebody you know. Sometimes we like the attention that our condition brings, and therefore we don't want to be necessarily set free from that condition. I know of someone who deals with, I mean, they're practically legally blind. And because of that physical condition, the government affords them some benefits. Okay? I'm just, I'm, I'm not being mean when I say this, but this person, although they are a born-again, spirit-filled believer, that Jesus paid the price for them to be healed, they would rather continue to get those benefits than to pursue healing from the master. Now, they wouldn't tell you that, but their actions play it out, okay? I don't care. Now, listen, I'm not against getting benefits, all right? I'm not against that at all. But don't, don't pay for tolerating sickness and disease in your body just because you might get a check for it. Well, praise the Lord. Anyway, so when she had heard about Jesus, because she had had enough, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I may be touch his clothes, I shall be made well. She did, and immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Now, I want to pause right here, and I want to say something to you. Uh, let, me, let me just pose it in the form of a question that you can answer if you want to. You don't have to, but you can if you want to. Who initiated the healing in this situation? Huh? Say it good and loud. The woman did. Jesus did not set out to heal this woman. The woman set out to receive healing from Jesus. So what does that mean? That means that sometimes we need to be the ones to pursue healing instead of waiting around for Jesus to come and heal us. Okay? So, but his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth, her whole story. And he said to her, daughter, now, and, and he didn't just, she just didn't tell him about the physicians and all that kind of stuff. She told him, I heard about you. I believed in you. I pressed through the crowd and I touched your garment. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I'm convinced there's just, and this is bigger than just sickness or disease, but I'm convinced there are just some things that we just tolerate that we don't have to tolerate. I'm going to say this to you. 
okay? And, and I don't mean any harm with this either, but I'm going to say it anyway because I believe God for boldness. Uh, some of us tolerate poverty when we don't have to tolerate poverty. Now, I, I'm, you know, I'm, in, I'm trusting God just like you do. So what I encourage you to do is examine your life. You know, a lot of us are tolerating worry and anxiety and stress when we don't have to. Why? Well, either we don't know or I'm going to talk to say this to these people up here, or we're too lazy to do something about it. Okay? I mean, and I'm preaching to me too, just like I'm preaching to you. What are we tolerating in our life that Jesus has set us free from? And you know what I don't want to have happen? Is after all this is said and done and the dust settles and I'm standing before the Lord and him say something to me like, I set you free from that. Why didn't you receive it? You mean I could have? Yes. Okay. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. So Jesus heals those conditions that are longstanding and maybe we've learned to tolerate and put up with. Here's number five, and I love this one. Jesus wants to heal people so they can have some, some normality in their lives and their lives not revolve around some kind of sickness or disease. Now, this is, again, one of my favorite stories from Mark's gospel. And the woman with the issue of blood is sandwiched right in here with this story. And, and this is a story of Jairus and his daughter. So let's look at this. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side... A great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed and thronged him. And of course, then right here is where the woman with the issue of blood came and touched the hem of his garment. So we paused for that story. And then we pick up after her story is over, verse 35. And while he was still speaking to her, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is what? What does it say? Your daughter is, why trouble the teacher any further? Now, would you say that's some bad news? I, I would think it's bad news, okay? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, now listen, this woman is talking to him. She just got through telling him her story. He says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of that disease. And as soon as those words come out of his mouth, he overhears somebody tell Jairus, don't bother him anymore. Your daughter's dead. Jesus, now this is me. I'm just, I picture these things as I meditate on them. Jesus snatches around and he says to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. Now, I love this because um, we're past the point of fear, really. I mean, think about it. You're, 
When somebody tells you what you were praying about, the person died, in our minds, it's a wrap. It's over. It's done. But according to Jesus, it's not. In this situation, he said, do not be afraid, only believe. And so they get to the house and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult. Now, I've been to some funerals, and I've seen, been to a couple that had a tumult. You know what a tumult is? That's where people are trying to crawl in the casket and wailing and carrying on and all that kind of stuff, and I'm not being critical. I'm just saying. And so he saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child's not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those, Peter, James, and John, who were with him, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. It's Aramaic. And immediately the little girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years old. Now, pop quiz. How old is the little girl? 12. 12. Okay. Preteen. She's in middle school, right? Aren't 12-year-olds in middle school? Okay. She's in middle school. Pretend with me. Just, just work with me here. So immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years old. And notice this next phrase that I highlighted for you. And they, the parents, Jairus, his wife, all those that were tumulting, and everybody else except Jesus and Peter, James, and John, were overcome with great amazement. Not a little amazement, great amazement. Now, here's what I love about this story is what follows. But he, Jesus, commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Now, two things that Jesus is addressing right here. There were times, if you're familiar with Jesus' ministry, that he would instruct people to, um, if he performed a minister to them and, and a miracle was performed, he would tell them, don't tell anybody. You remember that? Okay. There was one instance when he was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the Decapolis and he ministered to the man who had all those demons and cast them out and they went into the pigs. You remember that? He specifically instructed that man, go and tell everybody. What was the difference? Jesus needed the gospel preached in that Decapolis area because it was very heathenistic, very idolatrous, just evil. But on the other side where the Orthodox Jews lived, Jesus was a little more protective. Now, what was he protective of? He knew that if word got out of what he did in, 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 let's say, somebody's life, he performed a healing in their life, that word would spread and he would no longer be in a position to where he could minister to people individually because the crowds would be too big. Now, here's one thing. Jesus never went back over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So he wasn't concerned about that. But he wanted to minister and be able to touch people's lives. And if the crowds were too big, somebody said, well, what do you mean? Well, we know by fact that the one time that he 
fed the multitudes, there were 15,000 people in there. You ever been in a meeting with 15,000 people? That's a lot of folks. And you can't get to everybody and minister to them like he wanted to. So he needed to restrict his promotion, his advertisement. In other words, if he was alive today, or no, that's not right. If he was ministering on the earth today, he would say it this way. Hey, listen, guys, don't anybody share that on Facebook, okay? Don't tweet that. Don't put it on Insta, okay? In other words, keep it on the DL. Now, in this situation, it was a little bit different. Somebody tell me again how old this little girl is. Okay, she's going into middle school. You know what middle schoolers are like, okay? Here's what Jesus did not want to have happen. He wanted this little girl to be able to grow up and have a normal life. What does it mean? Listen, if you had been in that situation and you were that little girl and you got healed, or no, bigger than that, you got raised from the dead by Jesus Guess what? Ripley's was going to be knocking on your door to come put you in their museum down at Myrtle Beach because it was such a big deal. In other words, she would become a freak show to those people. Not so that Jesus would get glory out of it, but just so they could see what a person looks like that got raised from the dead. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Jesus was so... uh, concerned about this little girl growing up, going to school, being able to become a a bright little young woman with a huge future in front of her. He didn't want people ruining that and making her life abnormal. He wanted her to live a normal life. Now, the second part of this, and when Jesus said, but he commanded them that strictly no one should, uh, no one should know what had happened, And then the second thing is, what did he tell them to do? Come on, what did he tell them to do? Because everybody knows how middle schoolers eat. They hungry all the time. I'm being funny, but that's really what it was about. Give her something to eat. So here's my point. Jesus wants to heal people so they experience some type of a normal life and experience normality in their lives. So the people were filled with great amazement, and he didn't want that being lost on that little girl or that little girl to lose her normal life because of the people being so amazed. Here's number six, okay? It doesn't matter what the condition is or how great or how small, Jesus cares about it and wants us to be healed. Now, please understand this with me. Um, A lot of times what we do is we take the terminal conditions to Jesus, but the headache, the cold, those types of things, I'll, I'll, I'll just get some medicine and we'll deal with it, okay? Jesus wants you to be healed no matter if it's a cold, a headache, or any physical condition, no matter how great or small. Now, listen, I'm going to say this, and I'll talk more about this later. Uh, I am not, nor is the Lord opposed for you taking medicine or going to the doctor. Please, 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 if you need medical assistance, go see a physician, okay? 
Because God works through medical science too. If your faith is not there to receive a miracle, by all means, get some help. All right, we'll talk more about that later. But look at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, almost done. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, they began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this which is given to him? That such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Which is a whole other message, okay? I'm not going to get into. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now notice what happened. Now he could do no Mighty work there. Notice it says could do, not would do. What that means to me, says to me is this. Jesus wanted to do a lot in his hometown, but he could not. Why? Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, quickly, he could do there no mighty work except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. In the Greek language, it says that he could do there no mighty work except he laid his hands on a few people with minor ailments and healed them. Now, which is, is good in the sense of, notice Jesus didn't just brush off the whole thing and say, I'm going back to Capernaum. No, anybody he could he ministered to them. No matter if it was a very minor condition, whatever it was, Jesus wanted them well. Now it says that he marveled because of their unbelief. So I think this is interesting. Somebody tell me again, how does faith come? How does faith come? Okay. So what does Jesus do to overcome people's unbelief? He immediately set out in a circuit in the villages there near Nazareth, notice what it says, teaching. Why? So he could help them overcome that unbelief and be in a position to be able to receive from him. So all of these types of individuals, all of these physical conditions, Jesus ministered to, Jesus wanted people well. Now I'm going to remind you of this verse that we read last week that is so true. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he wanted to heal all of these types of people and conditions back then, he does today and he will tomorrow. So write this down. Healing was a defining characteristic of Jesus' ministry then, and it is still a defining characteristic of his ministry today. Jesus did not lose any of his anointing or ability or power to heal any physical condition today that he possessed then. He's the same. And if his will and his desire was to heal people then, his will and his desire is to heal people now. If he wanted people well then, he wants people well now. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. 
If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.